Welcome to the InsureTech Story Podcast. This is Episode 2 discussing insurance technology trends that will shape the industry in 2020 and beyond. Here we will also take you through the best-selling book in insurance, The End of Insurance as We Know It. Great. Um, okay, so we have started the recording. All right. Well, um, very good evening and good morning to everyone. Welcome to the InsurTech Story podcast. This is episode two, discussing insurance technology trends that will shape the industry in 2020 and beyond. Um, InsurTech Story is an initiative focused on creating a better and a more profound InsurTech community by sharing knowledge and bringing professionals from India and around the globe under one platform. So a huge welcome to one and all. And today we are also very excited as we will be uh, uh, talking on one of the best-selling book in insurance, The End of Insurance as We Know It. So hold on tight for that. To begin today, uh, we have a special guest with us, Mr. Rob Galbraith who is otherwise known as the most interesting man in insurance today. Rob has over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry in a variety of positions in the field of property and casualty insurance, banking and investment markets. He holds a Master's of Science in Insurance Management from Boston University and a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Michigan State University. Rob earned his Chartered Property Casualty Underwriter designation in 2003 and has served in leadership roles both at the national and local chapter levels. He was also elected to serve on the CPCU Society's Leadership Council from 2016 and to, uh, until 2018 and previously served on the Industry Advisory Board to the Institutes. Rob received the Lohman Award for Outstanding Service to the Alamo Chapter of the CPCU Society in 2009, besides many other accolades. To add to this, Rob has been ranked as high as number six in InsureTech London Top 100 Influencers. Rob's passion is finding ways to provide insurance products to all who have a need through innovative approaches that leverage the latest in technology, building strong relationships with a diverse network of people from a variety of disciplines and educating the public on the risk they face. So welcome, Rob, and thanks for your time today. It's indeed an honor to have you at the show. It's terrific to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, very uh, excited to be on episode two and, and excited for what you're launching at the InsureTech story. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Um, uh, to introduce myself, I'm Surya Saha, your host for the day and the author of The Digital Choices, a book written for the emerging crowd who wants to take the leap towards digital transformation journey. Professionally, I'm, the, I'm in the risk management field with more than eight years with a deep interest in InsureTech and enterprise blockchain. I would also like to introduce you all to Mr. Ganguly, our co-host for today. He's the founder of KPA Consulting that provides next-gen technology training programs through classroom, instructor-led live online learning, mobile learning, bite-sized learning, and on-demand learning-based programs on digital transformation, 
automation, data analytics, blockchain, AI, machine learning, technologies, and other emerging technologies. KPI Consulting was also the co-organizer of the Bangalore Blockchain Summit in 2019 and also a knowledge partner of the InsureTech Story. Welcome, Mr. Ganguly. Good to have you on board today. Thank you, Surya. Thank you so much for the um, we will kick off with our show with Rob. So Rob, just to start, how are you doing today? And how are things at your side of the world? A uh, great question. Uh, so I live in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so in the middle part of the United States and the South and uh, summer has come early here. It has uh, been very hot and um, it's, we've been able to get outside some uh, with my, my wife and my children uh, to escape being at our home. We, I've, I've, it's been unusual because uh, I typically travel quite a bit and uh, I've been home for over three months straight now because of the coronavirus. Um, so we've gone out a little bit. We will venture out with our masks and we'll do things like hiking or uh, swimming, though we can still stay distant from folks um, and, and stay safe. So trying to find that right balance. but. Um, you know, fortunately, um, you know, we've all been very healthy here in my family. Um, we do know some loved ones that have been affected. Um, oh. but, uh, yeah, just trying to stay safe. So, uh, it's a difficult time. How about on, uh, your side of the globe? Um, yeah, it is, it, it, things have relaxed than before, but at the same time, the risk is pretty little high because the number of cases are going up each day. So it's difficult to manage as well. So, but at the same time, have to get back to a couple of you know things to you know for business and others. So finger crossed, we have to be healthy and safe. That's the important uh, tagline today. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. A lot of lot of washing my hands and um, a lot of and right. yeah, stuff we should be doing anyway. So absolutely, I mean, we have to live with it now. We have no choice, right? Okay. Um. So just to give a quick brief, you know, um, uh, insurance as a global industry, uh, with over uh, four point nine trillion dollar in total premiums per year, at least as I can remember, uh, in two thousand seventeen, it was the case. Uh, it's it's definitely a complex business that involves some sort of a sophisticated risk pricing, large capital requirements, stringent uh, regulations, and etc. But until recently, uh, you know, insurance has been a virtual island. I would say, uh, in a sea of technological changes. So while new players walk to uh, disrupt banking and wealth management after entirely transforming various other industries, for example, uh, travel, if you look at bookings, etc. So insurance seemed to be operating much as it had for decades. So that era of relative stability um, has ended with the increasing deployment of advanced technologies like the sensor technologies and etc. like IOTs and others. So as of now, uh, like other in major industries, uh, grappling with the risk and opportunities of these new technologies, insurance is somewhere seem to be, uh, uh, you know, in the race, but at the same time, not as aggressive as it should be, at least like its peers in the financial uh, services sector. So, you know, there's 
clearly a lot to unwind in the industry as of now. So with this, uh, uh, if I may, uh, you know, Rob, my question, uh, what according to you uh, will be the most important technological trend that uh, will disrupt insurance in the coming time or in the coming years? It's a great question, Surya. So uh, I guess I would say that typically insurance has been uh, about managing risk and in many cases following uh, what's known as the law of large numbers and pooling kind of things that appear to be alike, right, in kind of certain risk pool. So the example I use, uh, very common in the United States, I'm not sure if this is uh, the same in India or not, for motor insurance, you know, an 18-year-old single male is rated much higher and has to pay a lot more premium than a 35-year-old married female. And so, you know, that's been very statistically borne out. Um, you can see it when you kind of lump all of them together that age and gender and marital status matter in terms of your likelihood of, of having a, a motor claim. But today we have telematics. So I don't need to lump that 18-year-old very good and responsible driver in with his peer group. And I don't need to lump that 35-year-old married female that maybe takes it a little too aggressively on the roads um you know maybe isn't such a great driver her friends know that right but the insurance company can't see that risk um, maybe i don't need to lump her in with all other 35 year old married females that drive well as a group i can rate them individually and the reason i can do that is because i've got sensors in the car that can actually directly observe i mean it's almost like you're sitting in the passenger seat watching this person driving and so you mentioned sensors before so you know this proliferation of cheap sensors it's not just in uh, cars, but it's in uh, the Internet of Things, you know, water flow detections, uh, lights, you, you know, you name it. Agriculture, there's a ton of sensors that are going on now in, in agriculture, uh, soil moisture levels, um, you know, sun levels, et cetera. And so all these sensors that are cheap to deploy uh, can now stream data real time and directly observe things. Uh, they don't have to use age or gender or marital status or many other variables that we've previously used proxies for risk. We can actually observe the risk themselves and observe the risk changing. All that gets streamed to the cloud is no longer an issue where we have to decide which data we're going to keep and which data we're going to throw away because storage is a limitation. And then we've got artificial intelligence that we can process all this. So if you were to stream all this data to a human, you know, they couldn't put it into an Excel spreadsheet and make sense of it. But with artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, advanced algorithm, you can. And you know, blockchain is is probably coming along the way to kind of keep all of this secure, right? So we know that um, hacking and cyber threats are certainly concerned for IoT devices. Um, you could hack into a smart car, right, and take control of it. That that's happened in the past. Um, so before we get to fully autonomous vehicles, we'll have to solve that problem. And so. You know, it's really just this confluence of technologies all coming together that are fundamentally changing what is possible in insurance. The challenge for the industry to make use of this technology that's now come out over the past decade to do insurance better. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, in India also, uh, we are witnessing uh, the, Indi the Indian insurance regulator 
So they are also trying to uh, come up uh, with a lot of changes in the way they used to operate earlier, be it in drafting a policy, be it, be it in how to adopt new technologies and what are the rules to be followed in that, who are the, uh, uh, you know, for example, with respect to any partnership, how, how it should be done. There are lot, lots of engagements that they're trying to bring, of course, it's, it's kind of an eventual, but at the same time, the good news is it's the process has started. So uh, with that respect, there are plenty of uh, uh, startups in the insurtech field are also booming. So previously, what I have personally witnessed, the startups are mainly focused in the fintech part, particularly in payments, loans, and micropayments, and etc. So the trend is moving towards insurtech as well starting from uh, micro insurance to auto insurance to agriculture. So kind of a lots of uh, work happening there as well. And, uh, you know, recently I was also uh, uh, watching one of the accelerator programs of Swiss Re. So they have started an insurance accelerator program for Bangalore. So uh, where they are trying to bring in uh, insurance startups and trying to find, find a kind of a, match together an alignment where they can fund the some of the projects of the newcomers and they can grow together and exchange of technology and funding happens. so that those are kind of good news out there so it's it's, it's very exciting um so rob you know uh, uh, to focus on uh, the insurance ecosystem and the digital disruption uh we are uh, seeing like six areas where the industry has lots to offer uh, like for example uh, the marketing and distribution part is one of them uh, underwriting customer service claims management uh, customer retention and product development so could you help us understand the disruption uh, set to happen or already happening in these areas a bit more like perhaps with some cases you may have in mind i mean one of which we all are familiar with is uh, uh, lemonade for claims so other part of the value chain will be a little more uh, helpful yeah so uh, you're right I, I think opportunities abound i think the six areas you mentioned are spot on uh, a couple things. Number one, um, I actually heard a podcast a couple years ago with uh, Daniel Schreiber, the co-founder of Lemonade, right. and he made three great observations. Number one, and so he was talking about the fact that he's actually not from the insurance industry. So unlike myself, with over two decades in the industry, I've come to to, to know and love insurance. He's coming in from the outside, as are many technologists and entrepreneurs that see opportunities, and. What he saw and attracted to Lemonade was that it's a massive industry measured in trillions of dollars, as you mentioned, right? Almost $5 trillion globally, uh, that it's unloved. So nobody loves their insurance company. You know, you get insurance because you have to get it, um, either because you're legally required to get it or because you protect those assets. Um, but, you know, you don't necessarily have the brand loyalty, right? You don't know, you, it's a set it and forget it type of transaction. You, know, you don't want to think about it. We want to go on with our lives and you know, buy our, our Apple iPhones or, you know, our, our iWatches or whatever. Um, and then, so it's, it's, it's unloved. And then he used this phrase and I loved it. It's unspoiled by innovation. 
And it's very true. We have lots of manual processes, lots of digitizing to insurance in the past meant making that form a PDF version of the form um, that you could print out and, and copy and then scan back in, right? So um, all of that has a cost to it. And, uh, you know, here in the United States, and it, it varies country by country, but I think the general rule is, you know, here in the States, the expense ratio is about the rent for property and casualty insurance. So that means 30 cents of every premium dollar is going to expenses. Many of those expenses are really not benefit you as a current policyholder. So if that expense is going to, um, you know, other new business that agent wrote, or it's archaic I or system that was built in the 1970s, or all these kind of back and forth, you know, emails or phone calls between claims, uh, you know, between two different claims to resolve a dispute to see who owes what, who's at fault, who's not at fault, et cetera. You know, all this add costs, but they really don't add benefits. They don't improve the and bringing costs down, you do a few things. But then you also open up the possibility of brand new products that just weren't possible before because the cost threshold was so high. And so for Lemonade to start with renter's insurance, um, a product that tends to be lower in premium than either motor insurance or, or uh, insurance, I think is really bright. Um, at the same time, you know, renters do have items that they want covered and they do have sources of risk um, that they want to protect against, such as theft, vandalism, um, could be, again, water damage, et cetera. Um, and in many cases, what's valuable to people has changed. You know, your laptop or your gaming system may be the most important thing. Since in the past, maybe it was your jewelry or your silverware or things like that. So, um, you know, this technology is not only making traditional carriers better, um, but it's opening up a whole host of opportunities to previously under market or unserved markets. And I think startups are doing both, right? They're helping large carriers, but then they're also jumping in um, to these areas that were underserved and um, succeeding in many cases um, and able to quickly uh, build a brand uh, because there's a market there that just was previously untapped. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, think, I mean, I'm also, uh, besides my professional engagement, I'm also a person who's pursuing my PhD in blockchain, uh, focusing um, in the insurance claims process. So there was a very interesting phrase that I came across is uh, blockchain is the answer, but what's the question? So similarly, if I look at the insuring field, um, people are you know trying to innovate in their ways, but there is also something needs to be understood that is uh, we what we are looking here essentially is to uh, is to solve a uh, a, a you know decades old problem so how exactly what exactly we are trying to do there how do we start where do we start so i remember a company uh, based out of uh, uk uh, they are an underwriter so uh, i was uh, working on one of the project for them so as we know you know the insurance industry they depended on like a bunch of paperwork years after years and they, and especially in an underwriter, you know, how they work and especially in the Lloyd's market, if you look at, now they want to translate all the uh, paperwork 
into uh, into digital format into whether scanned PDFs and there are a lot of uh, data cleaning data management going on there but the the challenges are huge I mean one paper you know work it gets missing it means it, it, it's it's it may also trigger some kind of a loss because it's basically uh, uh, some kind of a, a, a you know important document out there for example for a policy or a ship policy maybe two three uh, insurers have come together to uh, cover the uh, uh, you know insure the particular product for a certain percentage and any any uh, important part goes missing in there when they are actually converting to digital formats it's it's a huge challenge for them so it, this is like you know one of the every part of the uh, uh, value chain in the insurance system how exactly they would convert to a digital format and how they actually translate their need that is going to be very critical yeah i think um I'm fascinated by blockchain and I, I don't pretend to be an expert um, and I would encourage folks if they are interested. Um, uh, Walid Asakaf, uh, who runs InsureBlocks out of the UK, yeah. uh, has a wonderful podcast yeah. and website and uh, I've learned a ton uh, from Walid. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I highly recommend him. But I, I would say um, a couple points. I, I think, um, you know, the hype cycle for blockchain kind of tended to go along with the hype cycle for AI, I would argue. And those technologies are, are in different stages of development. So AI is here, it's here now. Uh, companies that are not using it are absolutely falling behind. And I even saw firsthand a couple of years ago an opportunity um, at the company that I was with, USA, for the underwriters to um, basically leverage AI. You know, they had all the information that they were making decisions on, all these feeds kind of come to, to one underwriter workbench or one screen, and they could look at it and they were recording their decisions, but yet it was going in just to a data. Nobody was analyzing those decisions over the, you know, 100 plus underwriters. Nobody was looking for patterns. You know, Surya, you might make, you know, a decision to, to accept this risk. I might take a decision to, um, you know, decline that risk, and it really might be the same risk, right? And so having some artificial intelligence kind of learn from those inputs behind the scenes, you wouldn't even have to interrupt their workflow to start with. And then over time you could leverage it and you could have the AI basically making, you know, 80 to 90, possibly 98, 99% of the decisions, right? So, and it would have taken less than 12 months. And we estimated we could have gotten a 50% productivity lift. And we were told no, because the goal was only 5% and we were worried about people's jobs and having to retrain them or whatnot. So, so AI is, is absolutely here now, and if companies aren't leveraging it, they absolutely need to uh, put their foot on the pedal and start learning and, and partner with experts, and there's a wide range of applications. Blockchain, on the other hand, I think exactly to your point, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous solution. I think there's lots of applicability to insurance, um, but there's a lot on them. I think you really have to get into the weeds, and there's lots of regulatory processes or lots of these kind of back and forth. And, you know, there are specific reasons some of these inefficiencies are in processes, and that might be a regulatory requirement, that might be a requirement for a rating agency, that might be a system limitation, et cetera. And so I think it's really incumbent upon experts in blockchain as, oh, as well as experts in those matter experts to really sift through. So if you've had some process I think perfect place to start and say, where does it make sense to have blockchain in? And 
I think people originally kind of wanted to throw blockchain at everything. And just because you have a, a database, right, or you have an exchange of information, that doesn't mean that blockchain is the right use case for you. So there are certain specific uh, use cases that blockchain enable that I think are very exciting, but they're everywhere. Um, I know uh, the Risk Stream Collaborative here in the United States has identified, I think it's over you know, 40 some use cases, and it's probably even higher now, big use cases um, that blockchain can be used. I know B3I is doing something similar as a consortium approach in, in Europe. And there's been a lot of progress, You know, a lot of, uh, of technologies gone beyond your standard blockchain to more distributed ledger technology, using things like uh, Corda from R3, uh, you know, Hyperledger and others. And so they may not strictly be blockchains, but um, a lot of progress has been made. And I think we're going beyond proof of concepts now to actually seeing real uh, production instances um, using the kind of blockchain slash DLT technology. And I think you're going to see that explode over the next 10 years. So, you know, it's, it's something you probably see less movement on over the first five years, although some significant movement. But I think the explosion of blockchain use cases is going to come in the latter half of the decade. Absolutely. You know, uh, I think another uh, reason to back that up is the amount of data that we are generating, uh, you know, in the insurance industry. So as we are, of course, you know, in innovating more and more, uh, the, that is kind of leading the insurers, you know, uh, to uh, gain and store ever more, you know, granular and sensitive information about their customers and, of course, their behaviors and other vendors and partners. So the more data we are generating, it's these technologies like blockchains kind of will gain more traction in the market. But at the same time, another you know uh, essential uh, aspect that I want to just uh, highlight is uh, you know the regulatory framework you know, that will also change as time passes. You know with it. So to have per perhaps the mo most significant uh, area to look at is to uh, to address the potential new risk as well as the existing gaps in supervision. So I guess this is something which uh, you know both the industry players as well as the other partners and the regulators need to look at in a very close uh, you know parameters. So that is also something that most of the countries are or, or the you know industries rather it's struggling a bit. <clears throat> I think regulators across the world really need to play a very different role than they have in the past. You know, um, I think they're very worried about solvency. They're very worried about pricing. They're very worried about you know um, customers being taken advantage of, bad faith things like that. And those things haven't entirely gone away, but to me, they're a lot less important um, and, and critical to, for regulators to focus on than they were in the past. Um, the fact that you can have, you know, ride sharing kind of pop up without significant regulation, and it's in many ways self-regulating, right? Based on user reviews and star system and 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 user comments, things like that. Um, you can't always have that in insurance, right? There is that opportunity because you're taking the, the money up front and premium. You know, are you really going to be around to, to pay my loss later on? So there's still some of those traditional regulatory functions that I think are important, but I would encourage regulators to really take a, a look at not just the emerging technology first, which is important. And I'll get to that in a minute, but um, you know, what regulation do we have today that really doesn't add any value to anybody is just the way we've always done it very similar to old insurance uh, carriers 
uh, that may have old legacy systems, you know, outdated processes, stuck in the old ways of doing things. I think regulators are very much in that same boat. Um, so I would encourage them to really look at some of their auditing functions and others and say, do I really need to do this? And if I do feel like that's a function I still need to perform, you know, is there a different, more efficient way to you know, perform that audit or that regulatory oversight? As it relates to new technology, uh, I actually think regulators play a huge role in you know, how uh, quickly the adoption of technology happens. Uh, what I tend to see is that regulators like to embrace innovation on a micro scale, uh, but not necessarily at a macro scale. So, you know, if it's in a particular jurisdiction or you know a particular use case, you know, a new company that comes, they want to be seen as embracing of innovation, and so they'll um, you know pave the way for that new offering, that new technology, that new company. Uh, but then when it's deployed at scale, right, it can kind of raise concerns, and so I definitely think there's a an, an education gap, and I don't. It's always the the fault of regulators. Some of the feedback that I've heard from regulators is to say, we want to learn about these things. We understand we're not experts in this technology, so we want the education, uh, but the industry has been reluctant to engage them fully um, or as fully as they would like to be engaged in some of those conversations. And I always encourage, whether it be technologists or, or uh, you know, uh, startups or carriers to, you know, be proactive, engage your regulator. They're not going away and you'd rather um, have them on your side up front than to um, have them chasing you down kind of from from behind after you try to deploy something out and ask for you know, forgiveness later. So some of the, the Silicon Valley eth ethos of, you know, move fast and break things, I don't think apply very well in the, the insurance space. Um, having said that, I, I do tend to take a hands-off regulatory approach. Um, and a lot of it's because we just don't know the um, implications of some of this technology. Um, and so I, I do think there's a role to uh, regulate, you know, things like artificial intelligence. I do have concerns about a uh, bias uh, in outcomes. So I certainly would be asking those types of questions as regulators. Um, I don't necessarily, I know some regulators here in the United States, some jurisdictions have said, you know, we want to see the specific algorithm and it, it cannot come from a black box, you know, like you have to show us the steps. And I, I worry that you know, it's really about the outcome, not necessarily about the algorithm. And so maybe there is some black box algorithm that you know, advanced artificial intelligence came up with. I don't necessarily need to understand what the machine is seeing, but what I need to understand is how that impacts outcomes and whether those outcomes are in line with what is expected or if there's a disproportionate negative impact to some consumer. So I think regulators um, need to find the balance of staying out of the way and seeing how some of this plays out, but continuing to be educated and if they see things going in a, in a, in a route that they're concerned about, right, really um, stepping in, uh, particularly if it's harmful for consumers. But I think there's a tendency maybe to jump in a little too early here. And on a lot of this is, is too new, even experts such as myself don't know how it's all gonna play out. So um, I think there's a, a balance here on the regulatory side, but it is very, very important, very similar to crypto. You know, crypto is kind of, used for a lot of kind of illicit activity and whatnot and, and regular consumers that were big fans and saw an appeal of crypto right but they were a little reluctant to be early adopters because they were worried about some of the uh nefarious activities right so having that regulation actually can build trust and that's my hope that regulators regulators can kind of um find the uh, the right balance so that consumers can trust some of this new technology and it can speed adoption you know, I mean, you, you have raised a very important point there. Uh, uh, regulators, uh, you know, first, what is more important for them is education. 
So they have to be aware first of what they have to be, you know, have to do and what the market is going through, what's there for the future. And, you know, I, for some of my work, I um, very closely work with some of the uh, people uh, based out of, you know, uh, uh, Bermuda. So there the insurance ecosystem is very robust. So uh, the, every second day I would hear uh, a lot of regulatory changes that is happening, particularly to the PNC market. So, and if actually, if you dig into a bit more, there might be, there are rare cases uh, in the recent past that those regulations, if you look at, there are certain loopholes so that maybe the regulators may have not understood it well, but due to some sort of, a, you know, uh, pressure or something they have to curb in a in very quick turnaround time they had to come up with some regulations so this kind of not a profound way of doing things may also create more challenges in the future so education is absolutely a you know a very significant element there so um Rob I think uh, of course we are um, uh, working of course very tightly with the time so I will uh, quickly uh, move on to Mr. Ganguly. So where we would love to hear more about your book, The End of Insurance as we know it. So it's all over, everywhere on the social network, Amazon, wherever you see. So it's brilliant reviews, brilliant stuff. Um, have gone through a bit, but not didn't get time to uh, you know read through. But I will definitely do it because that's something that we all uh, are looking for in the industry. So over to you, Mr. Ganguly. Um, uh, thank you, Surya. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been an honor uh, to represent KPI Consulting, consulting in this forum. And uh, Rob, first of all, uh, congratulations on your new book, The End of Insurance, as we know it, uh, which has been named as the uh, best insurance books of all the time by uh, the book authority. Um, right. So, uh, in your book, you have mentioned a lot of lot of things related to, as you mentioned, mentioned the usage of AI. Uh, you have mentioned of uh, uh, related to the appeals that the disruptions that uh, the, the the current startups are facing. Uh, you have also uh, mentioned that the reams of customer data and the legal contracts and the regulations that uh, insurance uh, takes, which makes much more you know, harder uh, jobs. So if you can, if you can tell us a bit elaborate, you know, uh, from your side, uh, if you can share some of your stories, uh, which you have written in this book in a much broader way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And and I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Um, so the book is divided into four main parts. And the first part is really what's wrong with insurance. Um, this is an industry that's been around for over 300 years. So it's uh, very mature in its development. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think underpins a lot of what is um, drive some of the economic engines in uh, some of the more advanced uh, nations such as United States, Europe and elsewhere. And in fact, um, my book is actually being currently translated into two foreign languages um mongolian and farsi so those are not the first two languages i would have guessed <laughs> but both in, in iran and in mongolia you know the markets are not as mature um i even did a podcast uh last month with uh um, a group in nigeria that's just starting out an insure tech podcast and, and nigeria is another one of those countries there's several in latin america and others where the 
uh, insurance sector is not as mature. And this lowering of the cost curve, right, is now making a whole lot more uh, insurance products uh, affordable and accessible to folks in those countries. And so they are literally you know, starting from scratch. You know, they can have a blank piece of paper and they're able to design the industry from the ground up. And they found my book uh, helpful in doing that. Uh, which I, I love it was not, never intended for that audience, but it's um, it really found resonance with with folks in uh, economies that are are just kind of uh, standing up or or looking to uh, deepen the insurance industry. Um, for advanced economies, it it really digs into what I call the seven fatal flaws of insurance. And very quickly, that is, it's too expensive, right? It's unaffordable for many people. It costs hundreds of of dollars every month, and in many cases, it's a big part of uh, everyone's budget. And yet you don't get anything for that, right? Unless you have a, a loss and the likelihood of that happening is very low. And so most of the time that money goes to pay someone else's claim and not your own. So you're not seeing quote unquote a benefit. It's too complicated. So when you do have a claim, right? And you're trying to understand what's covered and what's not, it's, it's never as simple as you think uh, in many cases. And so that's very frustrating to consumers, of course, but it's too easy to game the system. And that's one of the reasons it's so complex is to try to prevent fraud from happening. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's very uh, difficult to separate out, right, what's legitimate, what's not. And we kind of mentioned Lemonade earlier and their use of AI um, to kind of quickly triage claims. Um, I think they've made some, some progress there as of other carriers, but there's a long way to go. There's still not nearly as many claims as you might think that can be processed from even advanced techniques like AI. It's a cash drain, it's a liquidity drain. So, you know, it's it's not like a credit card where, um, you know, I can go along and then if I have the loss, you know, I can put a thousand dollar charge on my credit card and then I can decide to pay off that credit card right away or I can slowly pay it over time or just pay the minimum every month. I have some flexibility in payment terms, you know, I have to pay the premium up front. So that's liquidity that's, that's gone that I, I can't use for investing or, or other things. You know, the insurance carrier gets to invest that money basically on my behalf and make a return on it. Um, it doesn't cover all causes of loss, right? So very notably here in the United States, flooding is excluded from uh, a traditional homeowner's policy. It's written through the federal government, but flood is yet a, a major uh, natural catastrophe, right? Uh, we've had our own incidents of flooding. Uh, there's certainly been that in India and, and everywhere all, all around the world. So you know, why would such a major peril not be covered under a standard contract? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And again, it comes down to expense, but um, that's certainly a pain point. It doesn't cover everything that you would want to insure, and it doesn't cover every one that we would want to be insured. And that's why we have disaster relief funds, right? So when we have you know, cyclones, tsunamis, earthquakes, uh, you know, bushfires, like uh, these bad things happen. And when people don't have private insurance, the government has to step in and provide loans or, um, you know, disaster relief or other countries come in. Uh, and that's at a cost to taxpayers around the world. And really, we should have those people be part of the private insurance industry, right? And they have private sources of capital um, to help them in their needs. This shouldn't be funded from uh, taxpayers and, and governments in an ideal world. And part two talks about, well, why haven't we solved these seven fatal flaws? And again, it's a it's a industry that's been around for a long time. We have lots of smart people that work in the industry. So these are very difficult problems to solve. So easy to articulate, but very difficult to solve. And so it's not, as easy as, as other parts of our life where we say, well, we've got this cool new technology, right? Why can't I do that the same in insurance? It is complicated. 
And so there isn't always a recognition from Silicon Valley and elsewhere. There's increasingly more recognition uh, that it is complicated. It's not as simple as coming in and just you know, disrupt all those, those uh, you know, folks that don't know anything about technology. Um, the third section, though, really pivots to what is the art of the possible. And I quickly go through some of the emerging technologies we've talked about on this podcast and give people a high-level overview, certainly not a, an in-depth discussion on any one technology, but um, you know, I kind of describe it at a high level and then try to um, connect with the readers you know, how that technology might be used or what is the potential. And this whole idea, as we've said, that Yes, we couldn't solve those problems in the past. And one of the reasons is we didn't have the right technology, but we might have the right technology today. Uh, either we know we have the right technology or it appears in the case of blockchain, right, that it's it's very close to being there. And so we as insurance professionals do need to completely rethink what's possible in the industry. It's very easy for us as, as professionals to say, well, the reason that it is the way it is and it's broken is because of X, Y, and Z. But um, you know, those reasons may not be valid anymore. And then the fourth part of the book really, you know, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I try to project forward. I try to give readers a roadmap of how should we be thinking critically about this new phase. I contend that we're going to see more change in the insurance industry over the next decade than the past three decades combined. And so if you're not thinking this way, um, either from an outsider perspective, a technologist, an entrepreneur, an investor, venture capital, or from inside the industry, you're going to be uh, surprised. And so I think that's really resonated with the audience as well. It's just to help um, motivate thinking around this space. Certainly not the, the final word, um, but again, hopefully it's a way to really be a, a springboard to jumpstart thinking. And finally, I'll mention just the, the title of the book. You know, Everyone focuses on the end of insurance part and I get a lot of uh, folks pushing back on that but they don't always pay attention to the as we know it part. I'm not saying insurance is going away. In fact, I think it's a critical product that is needed maybe now more than ever. Um, what I do think is the way that we've done insurance in the past is going to fundamentally change. And if we don't embrace it and move that future and be part of change, we will be left behind as an industry. Right, right, excellent. Uh, so, uh, rightly you have mentioned, so it, it should be named, this is the new beginning, <laughs> uh, as we know it. Uh, Rob, so you, you have showcased your thought uh, in your book uh, with the authority of an uh, insider and the unique perspective names of uh, outsider. You, you focused on the past and future uh, of insurance with the, some issues and opportunities that brought forward to the readers alongside with the view of uh, technology and innovation in insurance. So with this, uh, where we are heading now, I mean, as an insurance industry, where, what should we expect uh, now on? So it's interesting, we talked at the beginning of the show and how it's um, really affected everyone worldwide. When I talk to folks all over uh, the world, we've actually been in a very similar state, right, with the social distancing and having spikes and, and then cases coming down and loosen up when we got a little bit more. Um, so I really think it's going to accelerate a lot of these trends, you know, this need to go digital. We haven't talked a lot about distribution, but that's a huge part of this, right? right. Uh, physically going to an agent or broker and sitting down with them for an hour. Nobody wants to do that anymore. And they especially don't want to do this during this time. You know, they want to be able to transact business online. They want to be able to get multiple quotes. They want the process to be very quick, but yet they want to make sure they have adequate coverage. They want to make sure they understand what they have as it goes to the, you know, it's too confusing part, right? And so how do we make this complex 
um, product simple to understand, simple to purchase, simple to distribute, um, but then robust enough to kind of be tailored to that person's needs as they go through their different phases in life, right? Maybe they start on a farm and then they get married and then they grow crops and they start a business and maybe they move into the city later, et cetera, right? So, you know, we want insurance to anticipate our needs as as customers, as many other industries, right? Netflix tells me what I need to watch next. Amazon tells me what I should purchase next. So why does an insurance know, you know, what product I need next? Um, so I, I think the demand is there. I think the uh, environment is there. Certainly we've got, you know, a, a lot of venture capital and, and yes, some of it's slowed down, but I still think there's lots of money sitting on the sideline that's still looking for an opportunity. Deals are getting done. I've talked to some startup founders that say uh, their business has never been busier. Um, they're getting phone calls left and right. So I, I do think that in many ways, this will accelerate some trends. I actually think it'll be a little less about disruption in the short term. I think some of those bets will be kind of put to the side and, and people are going to focus on efficiency. They're going to want to place bets on the, the things that are a little bit more of a sure thing in their view. Um, but again, there's lots of opportunities to streamline, to automate, right? We don't want people coming into the office processing paperwork and some things can't be done at home. So we need technology to bridge the gap. So I, I think you're going to start seeing that on the, the both the front end side on distribution and on the back office kind of automation side. And my hope is that successes on both fronts will then um, kind of translate to the entire insurance value chain over time. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for giving us such a uh, nice view about your uh, new book. Um, over to you, Surya, if you wanted to conclude. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, Rob, like as you have mentioned uh, very categorically in your uh, book, um, you know, how like the technology gap, how it is prevailing and the perception of insurance, you know, uh, I, I remember uh, in 2017, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a financial uh, conference, um, there was a person who said, okay, so you guys are from the insurance industry, so you make money by denying claims. So this is kind of a perception that is there all around the globe. So, and the hard fact is people hardly understand insurance. So as you rightly said during the beginning of the podcast that, you know, there are some uh, regulatory or uh, some sort of a need. That's why people involve in insurance. Now in India, people are also, uh, you know, tend to uh, buy a policy uh, for the, I mean, life insurance I'm talking about. Uh, for an investment purpose, for tax benefits and etc. So the fundamental need recognition itself, it's very uh, uh, like, it's very shallow. I mean, it's not the right word to use, but yeah, it is not quite uh, profound there. I mean, there's a lot that we need to work on, on building a perception and technology is at the forefront that will bridge this gap at least to a greater extent, you know, and particularly when we see the new generations coming up, who even though do not understand uh, insurance much, mm -hmm. but they would involve in it with just, you know, a, a matter of some clicks from the smartphones, how things will change. I think that kind of a drastic innovation is absolutely going to change everything what we know about insurance as of now. So beginning of a new era, 
through your book, The End of Insurance, as we know, it's brilliant. And the, in insurance as a subject, there is not much thought leadership there in the market. And the kind of effort Rob from you on all these things to educate the community, it's absolutely, you know, laudable. I mean, it's brilliant. Thank you very much. So uh, thank you so much, Surya. Um, I appreciate that. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story because um, you mentioned insurance and I, I met a gentleman from India here in the States one time. Um, as you mentioned in my biography, I started in banking, I went over to investments and then I fell into the insurance side. Um, and I really wanted to get back to banking and investments. My first five years, I did not like insurance. I thought it was boring, stayed, all the things that we've talked about before. But I've come to grow to love it because it does have this social element. You're helping people at their very time of need, their greatest time of need in many cases, in a way that you're not in banking, the way that you're not in the investment markets. This gentleman in India um, had grown up in a village um, on the western coast, and it was uh, devastated by a cyclone. And um, there was no insurance for any of the damage that was caused. And so it was very much families helping other families uh, picking up from bootstraps, right? Um, savings being wide transfer, you know, really a, a communal effort to uh, pitch in funds to earn money and to rebuild the village. And later on, when he went to university and discovered, uh, started working in the industry and discovered this wonderful thing called insurance, he was amazed. And he said, I love working in the insurance industry because it had we had this product when I was a child in India and when that cyclone had happened, we could have rebuilt much faster at lower cost, right? It wouldn't have taken, you know, years of everybody pitching in, right? To kind of, you know, putting rupees under the mattress type thing. And so that's the part that I think um, insurance should be, um, but it's too often not exactly as you point out, Saria. So I, I think with technology, we can make insurance as worthy as it deserves to be and it needs to be for our society. So I, I'm thrilled to be with you here today. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, I know we are running out of time, but if you may allow me uh, for a couple of more minutes, I just want to discuss one important point, which I just came up for, you know, right now while through the discussion. Uh, so, you know, Rob, uh, you have uh, you know, uh, earlier mentioned about cryptocurrencies. So, you know, um, um, an interesting case in point, if I uh, would like to say, uh, you know, the emergence of new category of companies that is coming up that like independently do not have most insurance business as such, but, uh, you know, uh, they are trying to build uh, that technical capabilities. So that may trigger a new world of diversity to them which they might get into which is nothing but insurance so you know owing to the uh, sheer complexity of the insurance industry which we all are aware about this sort of a companies uh, are now playing a huge role in improving the customer experience developing new products uh, and services creating whole new business models you know in overnight perhaps so you know how do you see these technology companies playing a pivotal role in the success of uh, legacy insurance? Like, you know, you have mentioned cryptocurrency. The first thing if I, uh, it comes to my mind when I, you know, is Libra. So now Facebook has come up with Libra. Now tomorrow Facebook might launch an insurance policy of them or for, you know, for the market to cover perhaps the crypto exchanges. 
so in that case how do the incumbents you know compare and compete with such you know huge technological capable companies That's a great question. I don't have a, an easy answer. Um, so I'm a big fan of Libra, actually, um, and it makes a lot of intuitive sense to me. I, I do. I, 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 I don't know that we'll ever get beyond um, the fiat currency issued by central banks because there's so much sovereignty, particularly for large countries like the United States, um, China, and, and others regarding their their currency, but. Uh, to have it um, not under the auspices of one nation or have one nation be able to influence, you know, the, the currencies of other nations and to have um, one kind of global currency that's that's trusted and in, in decentralized like Libra. Um, so whether it's Libra or another one, I, I do think we'll get there because I think it's going to unlock so much uh, benefit in terms of global commerce and, um, you know, people all around the world knowing that they're they don't have to worry about inflation anymore. They don't have to worry about debasing the currency. Um, you know that their for their libras count as much as everyone else's libras, right? And you kind of know where you stand. So I, I'm a huge fan. Um, I think that's going to be really difficult. I, I, I think insurance companies um, that see that things like motor insurance. You know, we 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 don't see a ton of growth in motor insurance, and in fact, motor insurance may shrink. Um, Allstate here in the United States just announced they're laying off thousands of people. And so I think that could be an early sign of, of what's to come in the industry because um, our expenses tend to be very fixed in the insurance industry, right? Systems and people. Um, so the marginal cost of adding one more policy is really, really low. Um, it's really just the losses itself, right? But from an expense standpoint and the distribution cost. Um, so as markets shrink, uh, carriers have to find ways to replace that revenue uh, to maintain the expense ratio. Otherwise, they're going to have to slash expenses um, a great deal. And so I think insurers that are forward thinking are going to see opportunities like this and try to, um, they may be behind the scenes. You may not see their brand as much and they may be, but they'll provide the, the paper or the capital or the regulatory right uh, approvals or whatnot kind of on their paper. You're seeing more and more of this you know, fronting activity. Um, so I could see a potential partnership there, but I do think it's a it's a threat for sure. Amazon, right, has uh, insurance relationships in, in India. Um, who's to say it wouldn't come to, to other parts of the globe? So, yeah, yeah it is very interesting to see um, how this will play out over the, the next uh, one to two decades. And I am very worried about all but the largest and most innovative insurance carriers. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be very interesting days, you know, things are popping up. Um, everything is uh, going from small to large, things are scaling up. And I'm also very much interested to see how things move in uh, very niche industries, which we have not perhaps experienced the way it is improving in this particular couple of years, which is space exploration. So I'm very much interested to see how InsureTech will play a role there. So, across. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so as we come to an end uh, of this insightful and exciting conversation, I would like to thank Rob for all your thoughts and opinions on the subject. I'm sure it will help our viewers to gain a different perspective towards insurance innovation and what the future holds for the industry. It was a true honor and a privilege to have Rob on the show, especially on our second episode in the journey on InsurTech. I would also like to thank Mr. Ganguly for his time and all his support to this initiative. 
It is indeed an opportunity to collaborate with KPI Consulting, one of the very dynamic team and ambassador of emerging technologies in India. Besides, to know more, you can log on to www.insuretechstory.com as we look forward to discussing more pressing issues and highlights on the future of InsurTech with Rob in the coming months. Rob, once again, a big thank you for coming on board and I look forward for more engaging discussion like this. Have a good day and thank you very much.